this is D.L. Hudson. Welcome to Church and Culture. This show is devoted to exploring the interaction between our faith and our culture. Each week, I will talk with expert guests on topics ranging from literature, art, and music to politics, liturgy, spirituality, and education. Thank you for joining us. Well, it's way too long since this guest, Roger Lewis, has been on the phone with us from England, specifically from the historic town of Hastings on the southern coast. He has been described, I think, very accurately as a revolutionary traditionalist. I think that fits him very well. He is the author of a number of celebrated biographies, the best known, The Life and Death of Peter Sellers, which was made into an excellent film by HBO. He also has written about Charles Hawtrey, the main actor in the Carrion film series. If if you've seen some of those, you'll know who we're talking about. Laurence Olivier and Anthony Burgess. We've talked about all of these biographies on this show, except for Charles Hawtrey, since he's not known as well here in the U.S. Roger Lewis is just one of the best writers in the English language I know. That's why I've read all his books. That's why I will read the upcoming biography entitled Erotic Vagrancy, Everything About Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. But before we bring Roger in, I just want to say that he's got a a book coming out on Kindle, which has not been available before, Growing Up With Comedians. It'll be out in June. A collection of portraits of some of the finest comedians of our day. And his memoir, which is just not to be missed, Seasonal Suicide Notes, was a massive bestseller. So, Roger, welcome back to Church and Culture. Well, it's lovely to be speaking with you all again. And, um, you know, uh, since we last did our conversation, as you say, I've been working on this book about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, the deeply fascinating couple. Now, what drew you to them in the first place? Well, I did that book that you mentioned about um, Laurence Olivier, and in that, obviously, we had big descriptions of Laurence Olivier and Vivian Lee. And I thought that there was something about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor as if they were the next big celebrity couple yeah. in the show business world. Um, and where Olivier and Vivian Lee were great stars of the stage, as well as movies, but mainly they were theatrical creatures, and they were very dignified, and they were very grand, and they had wonderful majesty. What I loved about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor when they got together making Cleopatra was that there was something very marvelously, liberatingly vulgar about them and very splashy. And they they were the great 1960s couple, I think. And by vulgar, you mean, that usually means common. I think, well, I think vulgar sort of, they had all this money and they didn't like uh, to conceal the fact that they were amazingly (laughs) wealthy and it was all diamonds and private jets and vodka and chalets in Switzerland and a huge entourage that they had to provide for. Uh, Lots of divorces, lots of tabloid excesses. And uh, I sort of rather loved them for all of that because most of us, I think it's true to say, live rather restrained lives. We're we're sort of quiet, we're civilized, we, we, we restraint guides most of our existences. There was something I think about that's Burton true, Roger. I think that that's true. Yeah. Free and crazy. Well, are their movies any good, the ones they made together? Well, all the other books on, on the pair of them, of course there are very many biographies already and picture books and photograph books and books about each of them, books about the two of them together. 
And everyone is always very caustic, very critical, very dismissive of the movies. And I thought, well, no, I'm going to sit down and watch all these and, and see what I actually come up with, see what I think. And I watched Cleopatra and the VIPs and one they made called Comedians and Dr. Faustus. Uh, Virginia Woolf. Taming of the Shrew. And I loved them. I loved yeah. them. And I, 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 I think people, when they wrote about them at the time, were perhaps put off by their private lives. So they thought that the films obviously won't be any good either. But I, living now as we do in a straightened circumstances and our, our puritanical world, something about those golden movies they made, I, I found them very attractive. Well, you I'm, know, I'm I... I'm assessing them, I hope, Deal. I hope I can bring them back. I hope you can, too, and you certainly hit the just the right note when you did your Lawrence Olivier biography, yeah. which was a great, he was and is a great hero of mine, but so has Richard yeah. Burton been, and uh, and as far as Liz Taylor is concerned, when I see her interviewed, I, I realize she was a lot smarter, a lot deeper than I ever realized. Yeah, there's a lot there, there really was. She's a fascinating person. And when I looked at her career, she began as a child actress in the Lassie movies and in um, the, uh, the one about the racehorse, National Velvet. So she started out making movies with animals, and then she replaced those by being in things like uh, Father of the Bride, and another film uh, with Spencer Tracy, um, and another film called Life with Father with William Powell. And so she replaced animals with father figures. Yes. She was still tremendously young. Uh, then she was married to Nicky Hilton of the hotel chain, the Hilton right. Hotel chain. She was married while well, she was still in her teens. Wasn't she just 17 uh, or 18 then? Yeah, she was, I think she was just 18. I mean, today we'd think of her like a child's bride, you know. Right. I mean, she was divorced twice, and she was still only about 20. But um, she went from being a child actress to being a very beautiful young actress, a beautiful young woman. And then we have the, the prime of her life, shall we say, as an actress, when she did things like um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and Cleopatra, um, and then she began to put on a lot of weight, and she became a, almost a parody figure of herself, and then ended up at the end of her days as the great uh, fundraiser for AIDS charities. And before Elizabeth Taylor, because uh, of her friendship with Lock Hudson, I suppose, people wouldn't go near anything to do with AIDS. Right. It was just a complete taboo subject, and she broke through that and raised all those millions for uh, medical research and so forth. And I think this is just an incredible life that she had. Meantime, in parallel to that, you've got Richard Burton, who's a great, great actor, very, very underrated in my view. He was nominated for, I don't know, I don't know the exact, I can't remember the exact figure, but something like seven Academy Awards. He never won. Why Why do you think he never won? Envy? Uh, it might have been that. One of the theories is that um, he'd, he'd slept with so many people's wives <laughs> that um, uh, he, was a, uh, he was a bit of a pariah figure in Hollywood by that stage. Yeah, um, kind of like what happened to Arnold Palmer along the way, too, by the way. Well, I, I, I think Burton was just magnificent. In all those early films in the in the fifties, like made, Alexander, he yeah, yeah, and he despised those films, didn't he? Pretty much. Yeah. Well, he um, he always said he never watched himself in his own films. Um, that he he didn't think he you know he hated looking at himself, so he said. Was uh, there was there a like the was there a came in from the cold? I mean that 
that's one he liked he liked that didn't he yeah didn't he like that movie oh i do yes i i think he's i think burton is wonderful as this melancholy spy that uh, realizes that neither side is good both sides in the cold war have elements of corruption and he can somehow evoke that i'm talking with roger lewis from hastings england yeah and we're talking about his book that is scheduled to come out in september of this year erotic vagrancy everything about richard burton and elizabeth taylor and one thing that's all I've always wondered about, because I just finished watching his epic portrayal of Richard Va- Ricard Wagner in yeah. the three-part Tony Palmer film, and he's just so good. But oh. then I read that he's putting away two fists of liquor every day. Is oh, all yeah. that is all that gossip true? He was drinking an enormous amount, which is why he was in his grave at the age of 58. Uh, He drank himself to death, and um, as you say, the Wagner is just wonderful achievement. It's another one of the things he did that's underrated. He looks exactly like Wagner Mm -hmm, as well. mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he, he... He's very convincing as the artist. I I wonder if there was a kind of confluence of personalities there, Roger. Well, he um, always used to say about the various roles he played, for example, in um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? He used to say, oh, I am George, you know, the character (laughs) that. And he used to say to Tony Palmer, oh, I am Valdemar. Uh, and and he, he would always find bits of himself in these characters. Um, what, when was he, he made a with Elizabeth Taylor a, a wonderful, great romp directed by Franco Zeffirelli, The Taming of the Shrew? Oh yeah, that's uh, good. that. That's very much Burton in the sixties having a rollicking time. Was he a nice man, or is that just too banal well, a question? I, the impression I got was that uh, he got less nice the more the vodka went down. I think he could be a nasty drunk. Oh. Um, and you read his diaries, and he is always saying about how horrible he'd become the night before. And I think Elizabeth Taylor, in the end, uh, couldn't stand this. Jekyll turning into Hyde drunk, and that's why the marriage came to an end. What what did Burton actually die of, Roger? Well, he died of a brain hemorrhage, which was caused by all the chain smoking, all the vodka drinking, which had just sort of wrecked his insides. Um, I read something about an autopsy showing tremendous damage inside his body. Yes, I I, I think he had all sorts of neurological problems that were linked to alcoholism. I mean, it's chronic alcoholism. Uh, I mean, he died in, what was it, early 1980s, 1984, was it? And uh, he'd been boozing nonstop since he was in the the Air Force during the war. Well, he used to be drinking a lot of beer in those days. So I don't think there was a day went by in his adult life when he wasn't knocking it back. Well, that's interesting. It means that he was drinking all through those early films, maybe not as much. But yeah. this is was just part of his bread and butter, you might say. Yeah, it was. He, I, he made a film called uh, Under Milk Wood. Where he, he plays oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Welshman. And, uh, like you. Uh, well, in, and yes, in Undermilkwood, the, the great Welsh film, um, he said to the director, well, I won't be drinking on this film. Ah. Not, not drinking meant one bottle of vodka a day instead of two. <laughs> oh, Lord. 
That was his idea of being on the water wagon. <laughs> now, uh, you have turned this book into the publisher, correct? Yeah. I delivered it just before Christmas, I suppose it was. Um, so, um, you know, everyone's still responding to it, and um, I hope we'll get it out there later this year, but uh, I, I've no idea of what people's, the, the pace of publishing, because I've been working on this book for about 11 years, and what I mainly do is write for newspapers and magazines, and stuff is out the next day, you know. So I'm not by the way, long because gestation. Of, because of you, I've, I've subscribed to the magazine The Oldie, which is just yeah. marvelous. Uh, those of you who are listening and want to read uh, a wonderful, uh, it is monthly, correct? Yeah, it's monthly, yes. I wish it were more often, but if you want to read a, a very beautifully written but very funny, uh, light-hearted but with some great analytical insight along the way, take a look at the oldie. Roger writes for it, writes book reviews and other things. Uh, yeah. You also write for The Spectator now and yes, then. Yes, I do. And uh, you have become, in my view, you know, as I say, one of the great prose writers, because when I, I'm reading The Oldie or The Spectator and I come across yours, I just sort of start giggling in delight with the way you put words together, Roger. Where did you oh. get that? Was it your Welsh background? <laughs> what was it? I think, well, uh, funnily enough, what I think drew me to Richard Burton as a subject uh, was he had a great love of language. Yes. And he was a great reader, and in, in his villa in Switzerland, there was a huge private library, and he just loved going in there and disappearing from the world and, and reading. And that's all I've ever loved doing is, is reading and getting moving words around and, 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 and rewriting a sentence and suddenly getting the timing right, as it were, and a joke will appear, the position of a word or punctuation. Oh, yes, all the difference. that's what and you do. That, that is something in, in which I obsess. Well, that's um, what you do. What I mean, I noticed, the punct I noticed the punctuation. I noticed yeah. the placement of words. And I, that's, you, you have me laughing. Now, you w were a fellow in English language and literature at Oxford. I was, yes. Were you, but did you exist as an academic for a while? Oh, yes. That's what I thought I was always going to be. Um, and I went to St. Andrew's University in Scotland and then to Magdalen College, Oxford. And I became a junior fellow uh, in Oxford at the age of 24. And that's what I thought my life would be. But then I was asked to start doing book reviews and things for The Spectator and write for various newspapers when I was in my 20s. And I sort of rather preferred that to teaching, which is an exhausting thing to do if you do it properly, shall we say. Um, That's true. That lecturing true. and being a tutor. I, so I preferred writing on my own to bothering with undergraduates. And so I drifted more into writing, and then I was offered a chance to write my biography of Peter Sellers. And so I left Oxford, and uh, me and my wife and children, uh, we moved to Normandy in France. Oh. for, I don't know, five or six years. Nice. And I, I wrote my Peter Sellers book there. Um, well, that I, think, that, the... that I think is a masterpiece, Roger, if I may say so. Oh, well, they made a very good movie of it with HBO. I was really thrilled at the film they made. Um, with an unknown actress in it at the time called uh, Charlize Theron. Oh, she did all right. <laughs> yeah, she played she played Brit Eklund and wonderfully well, and then she made Monster, I think, which made her hugely yeah. famous after that. So she's she's done pretty well, and the film is full of all these great people like Jeffrey Rush, Stanley Tucci plays Stanley Kubrick, uh, Stephen Fry is Peter Sellers' soothsayer, um, 
someone called Maurice Woodruff. And it, 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 it's, it's a wonderful film. John Lithgow is in it, playing Blake, F, uh, Blake Edwards. I, I, I absolutely loved it. And I was so thrilled to go and watch them filming. Now, did you ever, Roger, did you ever have a chance to meet either Burton or Taylor? Oh, no. All these heroes of mine uh, died bef- before I could ever come across them. Uh, except for Anthony Burgess. I did know him. But um, Olivier and Sellers and Burton, and they all long since disappeared. I suppose technically I could have met Elizabeth Taylor because she died in, I think, 2011. But by then she was surrounded by this enormous entourage. You yes. never have got close. And anyway, anyway, I prefer to imagine them. You know, I... Imagine them rather than meeting them. When I look at your lineup of biographies, I wonder if there's a Peter O'Toole out there for you. Well, um, I think the theme running through all my books is that they're all about monsters. Um, Peter, Peter, ah. Uh, ah. And, 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 of course, Peter O'Toole and Richard Burton are together in the film Beckett. And, oh, I just watched that. It's so good. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great double act, isn't it? It is. So, they play off each other so well. Yeah. yeah. And what I noticed, you know, maybe if you see it again, you notice this. They're both trying to outdo each other in impersonations of Laurence Olivier. They deliver lines exactly as if it's Laurence Olivier. <laughs> they must and another have one who does that, once you get it in your mind, you can't shake it. Uh, the other person impersonating Laurence Olivier in every single thing he says is Anthony Hopkins. And it's because they all were Olivier's understudies right. in, in the 1960s when the National Theatre was first set up. Well, you know, All another one... who are now eminent and famous. Another one of that generation... Roger, another one of that generation who didn't go where I thought he would go is David Warner. Yes, David Warner, he, who recently died, didn't he? But I he, saw him do Hamlet at oh, uh, Stratford back in the... Uh, would have been 60s. Yeah, it would have been the mid-60s. And it was and he, brilliant. Yeah, he played Hamlet as a sort of modern undergraduate, didn't he? A right, right. Um, and what happened to his career? Well, I, he, he, he did disappear for ages, didn't he? Completely. He was. He made some films, and he was on the stage, and then he just disappeared for ages and ages. Yes. And then came back a bit at the end. With Titanic. Yeah, at the end he was playing you know, Hollywood villains and sort of um, character parts and cameo parts, and, and, and then he died. But yes, he had a huge promise, but he never quite became Albert Finney, did he? He never quite became Tom Courtney. Well, right. So I guess Peter, Peter O'Toole does not fit the monster theme. No, I think Peter O'Toole... Um, he had a, another, after Lawrence of Arabia, and I think he suddenly had a time when he was drinking a lot, um, and then he had to stop, or he was going to, you know, he was going to kill him. Um, and all that hell-raising of these actors, Burton, O'Toole, Richard Harris, uh, Oliver Reed, um, they were all misbehaving in, in wonderful ways that you'd never be allowed to today. They'd never get insurance. They'd never get employment. The way they they, they would work. be, what shall we say? They shall uh, be put down by the woke mod, yeah, mob. The womanizing wouldn't impress anybody, would it? I understand and all the that models they were going out with and all the rest of it. They, they, I, they'd have to behave themselves have careers today or they'd be cancelled uh, yeah what about yeah. Is, was Richard Harris a monster oh I think so I um, uh, I read a biography of him the other day and he sounded a 
particularly nasty piece of work. Um, again, it's always the alcohol that seems to send them over the edge. And he was sort of horrible to his various wives. Um, and had an enormous, high, huge opinion of himself. The only interesting little overlap there, really, with Burton is that Richard Burton did Camelot on the Broadway stage. Right, brilliantly. And then he was bought out of that contract in order to go to Rome to work on Cleopatra. Oh, that's why he didn't do the movie. And then when they made the movie movie of Camelot, um, they cast Richard Harris rather than Burton. Too bad. I think he was offered it. But he turned it down, or, or he spent too long making up his mind. So they or he didn't. Uh, he didn't want to leave the side of Elizabeth Taylor that long. Where was that? They they always like to do things together. Uh, the, uh, the the we have a new generation of these this breed of English actor actors no. like Tom Hiddleston and others. What do you think of this new breed? Well, uh, to me. I mean, I really don't think that anyone has that pungent, substantial star quality. They're they're only now and again do I see a performance that I think is worthy to stand alongside um, the, the greats of Hollywood. You know, we don't have a Spencer Tracy anymore. We we don't have a Gary Cooper. Uh, we don't even have a Jerry Lewis. There's nobody huge like that, I feel. Everyone's a, everyone's a bit sort of, well, they're a bit like television rather than Hollywood. Does that, does that make any sense? That's it does. It does, especially when you see these very fine English actors in particular. Yeah. You know, ending up in Marvel movies. Where they just don't belong. I know. People like Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, he's he's in every movie that you you ever see. And they all do comic strip hero movies, don't they? And we didn't mention Kenneth Branagh. Oh, well, I I rather like his Hercule Poirot. I have to say. I, I do, I too. Like I the, honestly do. Yeah, I do. I, I think the films are beautifully made. The one on the train and then the one on the, the paddle steamer going up the, the Nile. yes. Yeah. I, I, I think that they're, they're really well made and cut, as they say, um, with his huge moustache. And he's got great facility. Um, Kenneth Branagh, but I don't know if you remember something he did. Well, he was in it. Uh, My Week with Marilyn. Oh, yes. About, yes. Yeah, about Marilyn Monroe making the Prince of the Showgirl. Yes, I do remember and that. And in that, Kenneth Branagh plays Laurence Olivier. And I thought, well, that took a lot of courage. And he really played him cruelly. Yeah. It was cruel performance. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yes, because I think I think Olivier in in real life was probably quite quite scary. I imagine, sort of. Um, <laughs> Roger a, Lewis, like Richard the Third, you know. But in oh, reality. that was yeah, that's a nightmare. But talking to Roger Lewis about his upcoming biography of Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor, called Erotic Vagrancies. When we come back after break, I want to talk a little about the book Growing Up with Comedians because Roger has a very, uh, how shall I put it, he has an expertise in comic actors and comedies in general. So we'll be right back. back with Roger Lewis, who's speaking to us from Hastings, England, in the south, on the coast. 
and we're talking about his various biographies he's written, especially the one, the upcoming biography, Erotic Vagrancy, everything about Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor. But he also has a new book coming out, which I thought was not a new book. This is coming out in the summer. It's entitled Growing Up with Comedians. And Roger, could you tell us about that? I thought you had already published that. No. What happens is that uh, publishers seem to inform places like Amazon uh, that something is coming along. And even when it doesn't, uh, nevertheless, there it is. <laughs> online advertised and actually some of the best reviews I've ever received are for books I've never written oh my because Lord. Um, people imagine they've read them so <laughs> well they no, um, they just like you they just like you well I remember years ago I thought I, I had this idea I'd, uh, I'd write a book about um, Jesus it's called Mr. Jesus and um, suddenly I started finding references to it and people sort of all agreeing with each other that they enjoyed it. But I'd never written a word of this thing. So maybe, maybe in this virtual universe, I'm, I'm doing much better than in the, the real universe. Well. But anyway, growing up with comedians will certainly be the next thing I do once all this Burton Taylor stuff is out of my hair. And uh, it's about all those People I used to watch growing up in the 60s and the 70s, Marx Brothers movies, W.C. Fields, who I adore, um, Jerry Lewis, who I actually find a very frightening person, not particularly funny. But sometimes great comedy, Chaplin, for example, it, it isn't funny eventually. It sort of turns into tragedy. You watch Chaplin's movies now and you wonder what on earth people found funny. All these flower girls, which are actually prostitutes, and, and the treatment of children, and all, all these sort of uh, urchins in his movies. Uh, it, it's a rather unpleasant Victorian slum world that Chaplin put into his films, which, of course, he'd experienced as a child. It's like Charles Dickens uh, in those early films. Well. Um, and it, it'll go right through uh, all the other people I loved, uh, the carry-on films you, you mentioned before, which maybe don't really transplant to America. Um, and I think I'll probably end up with someone like Sasha Baron Cohen, who I think is fantastic. Oh, he's quite brilliant. Person. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and Peter Sellers, of course. It's, I've got a section in there called um, The Life and Death and Afterlife of Peter Sellers. Uh, about the making of the HBO film. Oh, good. Well, you know, um, there's so little good comedy, in my opinion. Is there a reason for that, if you agree with the premise? Well, I think comedians are frightened of being comical today in case someone's offended. And so once you start having politeness and niceness uh, as your guidelines... Uh, you're not going to have comedy because that depends on outrage. Does and it? Edge. Well, uh, certainly stand-up com comedy does. Yeah, well, sometimes on Amazon or, or Netflix, they have all these uh, stand-up comedians, and I'm, I'm just watching them, uh, waiting for them to start amusing me. It's all just a lot of swearing. Yeah. Non-stop swearing. I don't, I just, you don't have to do that to be funny. No, uh, someone I love uh, is still with us, Mel Brooks, um, and someone who's not with us any longer, who I think was just a genius, was John Candy. Yes. Uh, planes, Trains and Automobiles and Uncle Buck and, well, John Candy was just, Really funny and really poignant. Well, trains and do, planes and automobiles, yeah. right? Oh, great, isn't it? It really is. And, and it's, it's so film. sad at the end when you realize he's lonely. Got no place to go. Um, no place to go. Uh, so, uh, you know, his... Steve friend, Martin. Yeah. Steve Martin comes back and picks him up at the railway station and 
and, and then the last shot of the movie is that they're just going towards his house, you know, for Christmas, carrying the big uh, trunk with all the curtain rings. Um, it, 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 it's a great film. I can watch those over and over. He, he was he was wonderful, and um, I when you sort of read about those sorts of comedians, the per- and Steve Coogan is another one we have here in England. He's a wonderful, very funny guy. Actor. Yeah, yeah. And, and Sasha Baron Cohen as well. When you read about how and why they wanted to become comedians, they all wanted to be the next Peter Sellers. I think oh. Peter Sellers, as, as, as time goes on, Peter Sellers becomes more of a, of a central, important figure in, well, should we say, you know, not just comedy, but in, in, in our culture. And you had Chaplin as the great yeah, silent movie yes. comic actor. And Peter Sellers, I think, is the one from the sound era. I saw The Pink Panther the other day for the first time in years. Because yeah. when I write a book about someone, I can't bear to look at their stuff for ages. I saw The Pink Panther again, the, the original one with Blake Edwards and David Niven. And Sellers is just so marvelous. He underplays. Um, it's it's laugh out loud funny now. Where, Roger? Where are the laugh out loud funny movies these days? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, am I right, or are I am I just missing something? Well, no, I don't think I don't think laugh out loud stuff is is not easy to find. You'd have to go back and watch these John Candy or Peter Sellers. Yeah, or the best of Chevy Chase. Yes. Uh, I liked all those National Lampoon ones. Uh, the sort of travelogue movies. Yeah, cr- Christmas Vacation and European yeah, Vacation. Yeah, Vacation ones, yeah. yeah. What, yes, what is it? Funny. So you, you said earlier that comics are, and maybe even comedic writers, are afraid to offend anybody. Yeah. Yet I, I look at some of the films we've mentioned, and there's nothing to offend anybody. They have like like in planes, trains, and automobiles. There's nothing there would offend anybody. Yet no, they imagine- you're right. There's nothing nothing in that. But um, I wonder if Mel Brooks would be allowed to make Blazing Saddles today. Absolutely not. No. Don't all you agree? About the, yeah. I mean, eighty percent of his humor is based on ethnicity. Yeah. Yes. Well. Um, it's all Jewish jokes, isn't it, with Mel Brooks? But it, um, but they're Jewish jokes of a kind that appeal to the to the goyim, you know. To all of us. Yeah, yeah. I know. I lo- I love that that New York Jewish way of speaking, the locutions, the the, the timing. They're just brilliant. Um, I think I think uh, Mel his... Brooks is that. I think his greatest movie is The Producers, not Blazing Saddles. Yeah, The Producers. Um, I love that because of Kenneth Mars. I thought as the um, Nazi playwright, uh, he was really very funny. Oh, he, um, now would would Brooks be able to make Producers with that springtime for Hitler uh, song and dance at the end? Well, he... Um, actually wanted to call the film was called springtime for hitler but in the end uh i think the producer thought it was a, you know how, how many people actually would get the joke that it was meant to be funny um so they changed it to the producers but uh yes you're right with the the sort of busby berkeley dance routine of the of the rotating swastika um you know it it was uh Maybe only uh, only because Mel Brooks was was Jewish was he allowed to make that film. Well, let me ask you, say, that's too talking with Roger Lewis, let me ask you this. Are there cultural, uh, how shall I put it, cultural agreements that allow for great comedy to be written and to be portrayed? Well, I wonder where it does come from. I mean, uh, as I said uh, earlier about Chaplin, 
you can see now that he comes out of Charles Dickens and the London Cockney world of his childhood. Even though all the movies were made in California, they have this English background to them. And uh, I think comedy does come out of its era. Uh, or the, the Carry On movies oh, yeah. very much. Where they I think they're delightful, by the way. I have I have the whole it's box set. Nineteen sixties England. Yeah, um, that's why comedy dates quite badly because you, it, it's funny in its day, and then later on you think, well, what on earth were they laughing about? Um, the Goon Show, the thing on radio that right. the Sellers did with uh, Spike Milligan and Harry Seacombe, you you now listen to it, think, well, what, what's going on? But it's full of because it was all done in the, the early 1950s, it's all full of jokes about the war. Yes. So everybody in the audience and everyone listening at home, particularly the men, they'd all been in the army and in the services and in the Air Force and the Navy. And it was all full of little in-jokes about that world. And it's all full of gunfire and explosions and, 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 and silly officer class, upper class twits figures, you know. And, um, it, 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 it's not timeless. It's very much of its time. Um, but I think you're suggesting so he, that Peter Sellers transcends that. I think he does, yes. When you get a great actor, um, the, the acting transcends it, maybe even if the comedy doesn't. What do you think Which of is being why there's so there? few comedians who are any good at, at, as actors, because it's a different skill. Well, look at two things. Being there of Sellers, I believe he won an Oscar for that. And Jerry Lewis in The King of Comedy, directed by Scorsese. Oh, exactly. He could, uh, King of Comedy with Jerry Lewis is one of the great performances because he's yeah. the first time in his life someone's allowed him to do something straight. Yes. Yeah. And it, it, it rocks. I mean, it rocks you. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 it's an astounding performance. Uh, another one, actually, John Candy has got a cameo in the JFK film. You know that very, very long thing with Kevin Costner? Yeah, Oliver Stone. Yes. He's in there somewhere, John Candy is. A, he is. A deep, deep South Senator or something or other, and he's just got one scene. But again, it's a straight role, and he's able to bring his intensity to it. Yes. Uh, and and you realize a lot of these comedians, they they, they always wish uh, people would allow them to do more things like that. Well, you know, talking about going from comedy to drama, what kind of yeah. comedian was Olivier? Well, he, as, for example, Archie Rice in The Entertainer, he sort of plays a third-rate, comedian, doesn't he? And he does that very convincingly. But I I think he was a brilliant comedian because even when he's doing tragedy like Richard III, there's a, there's a comic dimension to it. Yes. It might not be funny in a sort of hysterical, laugh-out-loud way, but there's a sort of irony, um, a self-satire going on underneath. Um... And uh, in some of his later performances, Olivier was quite good as almost a, a sort of flamboyant figure. There's one he did, what's that thing he did with um, Michael Caine, Sleuth. Oh, that was so good. Uh, you know, that, that's that, a comic performance, yeah. really, isn't it? What do you think of The Entertainer? Oh, I love it. Um, apparently, it was much better, more powerful if you saw it on stage. Um, because it's sort of set in the theatre, isn't it? But, yes. Uh, he, he, he's very good at doing that sort of ruined majesty of Archie Rice. Uh, every, everything's now collapsing around him, and I think John Osborne intended Archie Rice, which, of course, is a role written for Olivier. He, he intended to, the whole thing to be a sort of metaphor, a symbol of the collapsing empire all this melting crumbling edifice of imperial 
ABA somehow could embody. Hey, Roger, um, Roger, our yeah. producer, Steve Clark, has written me a note saying that Jerry Lewis did a four-episode arc on CBS's Wise Guys sometime yes, around I'd 1990. Love to, I'd love to find that. I'd love to see that, and I've never managed to track oh, it down. I'll, on we'll the find it for you. You know, I'd love to see that. And I think at the last thing he did was a sort of serious part. Um, but he, he, he was, I think of Jerry Lewis as fascinating. Figure. I think he was tortured. And very important in American culture, wasn't yeah. it, for many decades. It, the, Martin uh, at the start. Are all comics inwardly sad? Yes, I think so. Uh, I've, I've, I've never written or come across one that's full of gaiety. There's a, there, there's an essential melancholy. It's as if I think this is maybe what I concluded, and in a way this is what growing up with comedians will be about, is that comedians have grasped the essential meaninglessness of life, and which is obviously a tragic perception, but nevertheless the only way of dealing with that, the only way of overcoming it, is just to laugh. Um, and uh, it's like in Noel Coward's play, Private Lives, um, when they, the two characters, Amanda and Elliot, uh, start getting onto the subject of death and dying and illness, they, they, they can't stop laughing. Because that's the only way to treat it. Roger, that reminds me of, of Christopher Fry's play, The Ladies Not for Bur uh, Burning, where uh, the protagonist uh, says to Jeanette, uh, for God's sake, shall we laugh for surely laughter? For laughter is surely the surest touch in all creation. You perhaps remember that. Yeah. Thomas oh. Mendip, was, he was the main character. That brings us back, in a way, to Richard Burton, because that, that, it was in that play that he made his... Uh, Premiere. Broadway's debut with John Gilgood. That must um, have been something to see. And also he did his play in London. Um, his, with Claire Bloom, I think, the girl in it. Um, but it, it, is it Scaramouche as well, that film, Stuart Granger, where he says, oh, he was born with a gift of laughter because he knew the world was mad or something like that. So, so laughter and hysteria and madness, melancholy, all connected. So you get all these comedians that die when they're quite young or kill themselves or, you know, like Tony Hancock, the great British comedian. Um, Roger, it, it, Roger it, it's could... It's a tormented, tormented vocation. Could you say that laughter becomes an act of faith? Well, it, 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 it is linked to the spirit, I think. To hope. To hope you can't fake it either. It all has to be, it's all part of the spirit, part of the personality. Um, you can always spot fake laughter, can't oh, you? Oh, yeah. Uh, mirthless smiles. Um, when people's eyes were not laughing, if you know what I mean. Um, but the, the great comedians, I, I keep mentioning John Candy all the time, but there's a warmth, a warmth comes off them. It and comes through their eyes. Spot that you pick up that instantly. Yeah, I mean, his eyes are so brimful of goodwill. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Another one who was like that, of course, was Zero Mostel. Oh, yeah. In The Producers. What a genius. Yes. The, what, yeah. what is the, uh, the musical that was written by Stephen Sondheim, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum? Oh, on the way to the Forum, yes. That's delightful. He was the, he, he was the slave in that, wasn't he? Seedless. He was. <laughs> Um, he, he sends that poor uh, Broadway. He, Buster he's Keaton. In the movie. 
Buster uh, Keaton keeps passing by looking for a certain kind of sweat. Yes, they got Buster Keaton and it running round. Um, but there, there's a scene in a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. It always makes me laugh. Uh, he, he's lying. Uh, Zero Mostel is lying on this sort of chalange thing, and someone hands him this uh, sort of terracotta bottle of wine, and he looks at this and he says, "Was one a good year?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> that's the kind of movie I miss, Roger. I miss those movies. Yeah. Well, they, you, you often, they were so good, these comedians or comic actors, uh, because they'd learned their craft, their skills. In the theater, in live theater, we'd be between, before live audiences. I think that's a good line, point. You know, uh, I think that's uh, a really they, good they, point. They knew how to work the room. Um, Chaplin was on stage for years before he made his first film. Um, Buster Keaton the same, going around vaudeville. The Marx Brothers, they, they were doing vaudeville for years and years and years before the cameras started running. Right. W.C. Fields was a juggler. He was in the Zigfield. He was in the Zigfield Follies. W. C. He was in the Zigfield Follies, yes, and making big money in that before movies came along. Uh, on YouTube, you can find some W. C. Fields juggling acts, which is what he was doing for years before he went into movies, and he's just amazingly proficient and a genius, really, with objects in the same way that he then became a genius with language and with words. Roger, um, is the same skill. we're coming down to the goal line here, and I just want to invite you back after your Growing Up with Comedians is published. Would you do that? Yes. Because there's so much... Buy it. We will. We'll all buy it. I promise you. We'll put it out there for you. And so thanks so much for taking the time to join us from Hastings. And uh, we look forward to having you back sooner than we did this time. Well, it'll be my pleasure. Thank you, Roger. And to all you listening, we're going to have another wonderful guest after a short break.